You're listening to the Free As You Like public edit of Nonfic Pod, brought to you by Burnham Cod. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to hear more, why not look for Patreon Nonfic Pod? And there, for just a very small monthly payment, you can support us to make this show and hear the amazing bonus content in which our weekly guest tells us the shit they wish they'd known when they first started out. Welcome to this episode of Nonfic Pod with Burn. Hello and God. Hiya. And it's another exciting one. Have we ever had one that's not exciting? I'm no, not sure because we have. we have oh we have such amazing guests. <laughs> Today's guest is Nikesh Shukla. So we're Woo! going to be Yeah, whoop whoop, Nikesh train. So we're gonna be getting on board with that in a few momentos. Burn, my lovely co-host, has had a chance to listen in to my chat with Nikesh, which happened a few weeks ago. And what kind of things do you think people will be excited to hear about? Well, two lovely people talking about the joy of writing about oneself and whether or not uh, that honesty on the page is excoriating or just natural. I mean, I love the way that Nikesh is talking about writing for his daughters and how that kept him honest on the page. And as a parent myself, that idea of the fact that your child, not necessarily at this age, but at some point is going to be potentially in your audience, or at least their mates are going to be. And so you don't want to lie and you don't want to embarrass them. You don't want to hang them out to dry. I mean, especially for me writing How to Build a Human, there's a lot of stuff where I'm putting bits about the kids' lives. But I never want to do anything that's going to make them go, Mom, why the hell did you tell people I did this? I think with Nikesh, it's more like, Dad, you know, why the hell didn't you tell me it was going to be like this? Um, and I love the fact as well that he is partly, I think, because he's writing for his kids, he's trying to find the joy in things, that life is not easy, particularly for people of colour, particularly for young women of colour. And he's got two daughters that he's essentially having this conversation with them about life and about how to find their joy in it. So yeah, I found it a really uplifting lesson. Teaser, Nikesh will be speaking about a secret, not that secret, Marvel style ending (sighs) to Brown Baby. It's an Easter egg. If you like Easter eggs and who doesn't, Mm -hmm. keep on listening. is Nikesh Shukla, an author, editor, journalist, podcaster, screenwriter and diversity activist with three novels to his name, including the Costa shortlisted debut Coconut Unlimited. It's safe to say Nikesh is something of a writing powerhouse. He's also authored two books for young adults, edited the best-selling essay collections The Good Immigrant, UK and US, and he co-founded the literary journal The Good Journal. Ooh, Earlier this year, Nikesh published a new true story of his own, the book Brown Baby, a memoir of race, family and home, which is accompanied by a weekly podcast of the same name. 
brown baby is our main focus for today. And although I've done plenty of reading around the book lately, delays in the postal service have prevented me from actually receiving my copy until this morning. Thank you, COVID. So Nikesh, can you fill me in? How would you describe brown baby? Can I just say one thing? Is, yeah. Is that okay. I really don't, I don't know where that whole diversity activist thing came from Ooh. or who started it, but I really like, it really makes me bristle for some reason. I think it's mostly because like, like knowing actual proper activists, like asking for a bit more representation in books and films just feels like such a tiny thing compared to what amazing activists are doing and also just putting those two words together like diversity is like a corporate thing so like to do activism in the corporate sphere just feels really weird so yeah yeah i, I don't know where that came from i remember someone saying it and me being like fuck's a diversity activist dude um and my agent being like it's not that bad come on but i was just i don't know just something about it really makes me bristle uh sorry about that no, no, do not apologise. I'm just looking up now where I where I got that from, and it's all over the place. Edinburgh Festival, Unbound. Weird. I've never put it in my bio. I don't know where that's come from. Anyway. Diversity activist, diversity in favour of Nikesh Shukla. Yes, brown baby, let's go. Okay, so it's basically me asking the question, how on earth do I raise my kids to be joyful in a world that is so messed up so you know a country that is just rooted in white supremacy a patriarchal society we're inches away from climate collapse and you know before covid itself like high levels of mental health issues you know my, my you know myself included how on earth do i raise my kids to be joyful in that sort of world when i'm so sad and angry about the way the world is and i use various conversations that I've had with my daughters over the years to, to do with skin colour, to do with gr my grief around my mother's death, to do with their thoughts on gender, uh, to basically ask these questions. It's a book of questions, basically. And, and it's also a book that tries to find some hope in amongst all of that bleakness that I described. <laughs> so you're a couple of months, hang on, what are we, April at the moment when we're recording. It's been out for a couple of months. How have you been finding... The reception and talking about it what's been what's been going on yeah this is one of those this is one of those questions where if you asked anyone else they'd be like it's going really well and you ask me and i'm like well there was this thing that didn't happen because of covid grumble and it was released at the same time as these books and therefore didn't get as much press love grumble grumble but yeah you know what like I'm not the only one who's put a book out in a pandemic. And I think my publisher have just been absolutely amazing at getting the book out there. You know, it's like there's so many books coming out at the moment and so many people are reading and they're so spoilt for choice. Anyone who hears of the book and thinks it's the kind of thing that they want to read and pick it up is, you know, thank you so much. It's been amazing. So, yeah, it's been it's been weird because normally you can offset your anxieties around publication by being out in the world and like popping into bookshops and signing copies and like doing events and then like going out to the pub with your fellow writer friends after those events and then like secretly slating people you don't like and all the rest of it and that all of that kind of stuff is really great that sort of the comrade like the physical camaraderie around doing literary festivals and like running into people you see one or two times a year but you always enjoy their company and you hope that they enjoy your company or like 
every single literary festival, you always run into like one writer and you're like, I should not be hanging out with this person. They are way too, way too good to hang out with me. And then, yeah, so all, none of that stuff has happened. So it's just been like, do the Zoom. As soon as the Zoom is done, the meeting has ended. And then you're just sitting there staring at your laptop in silence. And you're like, oh, I kind of need a bit of release now. Because, and also like, I'm talking to you in the same seat where I do my writing and I answer my emails and I teach my creative writing and I do my Zoom events and I watch Netflix and stuff. So I just feel like I I haven't been out in the world very much. And some days that's okay. Some days I just sort of really yearn for it. I guess I'm speaking, sorry, I'm just, you're the first person I've spoken to all day because my my partner and kids went out on a little day trip very early this morning so i just feel a bit like ah <laughs> and I had actually just before this i thought i just need to like talk to someone so i phoned a friend just to kind of have the bonkers conversation with them but they were just about to do a zoom meeting so i'm afraid you're getting all of this weird energy thrown at you i'm so sorry that's okay like i sympathize with your plight of being solitary how have you been able to or maybe you feel you haven't been able to. How, how how are you aiming to keep the momentum going then? Because books come out and then, you know, you kind of got to push them. But it's it's hard work, especially when you're not in a room seeing how people react. You know, I've really had to manage my expectations because I think when it came out, I, re- I re- was really like, you know what? 1200 copies gets you on the bestseller list. Let's get this on the bestseller list. And let's like build up a momentum and do all that. So I threw so much energy at doing that and but it's like you know it's covid times loads of bookshops are shut people aren't able to report on sales numbers in the way that they're used to and i just realized that i was focusing on the wrong thing and actually this book is about community this book is about conversation this book is about conversations that are are being had where i'm offering something unique that we don't often get so like a person of color speaking about being a parent a man of color speaking about vulnerability and mental health and 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 all of those things and so the way i've kind of kept the momentum going is we i decided that so much because so much of this book is rooted around conversations i wanted to continue those conversations and so i spoke to my publisher about doing a podcast alongside it where i get to talk to other people about the issues that are in the book and each week a new episode comes out with a new guest with a new perspective and uh, because of who those guests are I get the potential of a, a new audience each week and actually like the community around that has been much more valuable than me worrying about bestseller lists you know I just emerged from those conversations feeling like I understood them as people much more I understood where how their minds worked a lot more so that's been really really nice and so you know, you realise that, God, I, I expelled a lot of energy in the wrong direction when the book first came out. And I can't take that back. And, you know, obviously you want you want your book to have the best possible shot it can have. But the realisation that my book, it, this book in particular, it, I guess like The Good Immigrant is so much more than what's the words that are on the pages in between the covers it's a bigger conversation or it's an invitation to a conversation and I should honour that. Talking about how you've got to understand other people better through the podcast, do you feel that the reception you've had so far from Found Baby indicates that people have got to know you better through the book and through reading your book? 
Oh, that's this is an interesting thing, nonfiction writer to nonfiction writer, because how much of ourselves do we ever really give? You know, that's an, always an interesting question for me. Just to sort of set out my story with this book, like my parenting journey was not out of the ordinary. It wasn't particularly different. It wasn't surprising or tragic or particularly hilarious or wonderful. It just was. Everything was as it should be. But you know, it's our job to find, as writers, to find wonder in the mundanity and to find the small moments of grace in the everyday and to use our everyday to present the bigger conversations about why we are the way we are as a human race, as 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 a species. And I think I, I just drew a lot, lot of comfort from that. So where I get very vulnerable on the page... I, you know, I put myself on the page as much as I, I could. And I I don't think people will know, like, the everyday of it, because it's not a linear memoir. Because as I said, like, not a lot of events happen that were particularly out of the ordinary. It's it's a memoir that's sort of very thematically robust. And so I don't go, you know, month one, this happens, month two, this happens. Like, I, I, but I put my heart on the page. So whether people know the events that sort of led to me writing the memoir, they know my heart. And a lot of that was to do with the decision to make the memoir directly addressed to my daughters, because writing it in that epistolary fashion, you know, inspired by writers that I, you know, are my heroes, like, you know, I've got a massive James Baldwin print just over here. And like, like, I've got a shelf just there that has all my Baldwin and all my ta coats and like, in that way that they really inspired me through their work where they're directly addressing the the next generation through their work. I thought that's what I want to do. And through addressing my daughters, I will be forced to be honest because I can't lie to them. I can't lie to my kids. I could obfuscate the truth to, to a reader if it was just any old reader, but I can't lie to my kids. And I don't know if they'll ever need to read the book because if I raise them in the way that I want them to be raised, in theory they'll just go yeah i know all this man but also and also they'll be a bit you know when they're a bit older they'll be like oh god you're so cringy (laughs) i can't believe you wrote a book about me as a kid oh that's so embarrassing and so writing it to them whether they read it or not means that the reader gets a much more honest experience i was just reminded that like an ex-girlfriend went to college with um the daughter of the guy who wrote zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance i remember me meeting uh you know my ex-girlfriend's friend at the time and just being like oh my god what must that be like because you know you know obviously she's sort of referred to in uh she was referred to in like the uh, a special afterward that he'd written for a later edition and stuff and and i i just have in my head that she, she wasn't like oh my god that's so cringe but she was just like it exists you know it exists and i'm very much like just try not to think about it thanks for bringing it up man but um so i imagine they'll be like that for my daughters (laughs) there's so many things i want to ask you i have to rein myself in no we are going for four hours you're the only person i'm going to speak to today let's really get our let's really get our time's worth just otherwise i will feel a bit mad okay the thing that i'm really interested in is that you kind of opened this interview with a sense of real insecurity about your book, which I found surprising, although I really shouldn't by this stage, because most of my friends are writers and they're a very insecure breed. (laughs) But one of the questions I was going to ask you is, do you feel like 
you have made it now because you've done so much so far. I feel like you're a widely known author. I don't know whether you feel that way or not. And it seems that it seems from the outside that you're a a part of your career where it seems that anything is possible. How how do you feel about that? Oh god, how do I answer this question? I will I will say that I feel very lucky that I have to this to date only ever written what I wanted to write and that means that going forward I'll only write what I want to write at this stage of my career I've surrounded myself with the right people like be it peers or be it like representatives as it were who will always hold me to account to make sure that I am working on the thing that I want to work on it just so happens that for like between 2015 and 2019 I was just really like wanted to write about race and racism and so that formed a large part of my work and I guess that's the stuff that I'm most known for like editing The Good Immigrant but what's interesting is like I put out so much other stuff but people still only ever really want to talk to you about The Good Immigrant and you know what's amazing about it is people were discovering for the first time five years later but for me it's very much of its time and it's very much a book that because I didn't have any expectations about what it was going to be and the reason I did it versus the intention for it that we kind of attributed to it the, when it came out and it become something else means that I probably would have done it slightly differently had I known what it would become. But people are studying it at university and, you know, people are still talking about it and, and that's great. And I think for that, I guess that's the thing I'm most known for. But I, your question was specifically, do I think... I have made it. Do you feel like you've made it? Do I feel like I've made it? You know, I am ambitious enough to know that, like, I'm not done writing. There's still loads of stuff that I want to do, loads of things that I want to try, like, do more telly stuff that actually gets made. And, you know, there's there's a couple of novel ideas that I'm really, really adamant about trying. And, and another non-fiction thing that sort of I'm in the early stages of thinking about. So there's still things that I want to do. This so this morning I went for a run and I listened to this lecture that that's on Spotify that James Baldwin did called The Struggle, and in it he asks he it's a lecture that's about artistic integrity, and he asks the question Do you want to be famous or do you want to write? And I, I was I was sort of fascinated by that as an idea, because I think the best writers are sort of the ones who are sort of known for the work and not for them. Like what do we really know about Sally Rooney really? And that's what's so great about what she has done is like the work stands for everything, whether you like the work or not. And I personally am a Rooney fan. She is sort of taking herself out of the equation. And that I think is really interesting. And I, and I think for me, like, do I feel like I've made it? When I first started out, all I wanted to do was write a novel. And I wrote a novel. And so everything after that has been bonus for me. That doesn't sort of put my ambitions for what I want the rest of my career to look like but it does mean that I've achieved the thing that I set out to do now obviously my problems now are different than my problems before and my creative juices and energy and things that I am interested in are different now than they were before but I did the thing that I set out to do so now it's about leaving this world with a body of work that I'm really proud of and you know, I've like I've got a decade's worth of work, you know, 
three novels, two YA books, three collections of essays that I've ed- edited, and a memoir. And if I were to have a heart attack halfway through this Zencaster court, it'd be really awkward for you. But also, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'd be really, really happy with, with having done all that. I mean, yeah, there's always stuff that I still want to do, but like whether I made it or not, I, I don't know. I I wanted to write a novel. I wrote a novel. So in terms of 26-year-old Nagesh, yeah, I've completely made it. So Brown Baby, it's been out for a couple of months. You've probably had quite a few interviews, I'm guessing, and, and publicity, things like that. What is the question or topic that you really wish, God damn it, one of these interviewers would ask you about and perhaps they haven't yet. This is your chance, <laughs> your time to shine. No one, no one has noticed the hilarious, what well, that I find hilarious, uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe ending that I've given the book that I find hilarious because here's the thing, right? There's a very sincere version of this memoir and there's a very traumatised version of this memoir. And while there is sincerity on the page and you know i talk about some really really sad stuff like my roots are in comedy i'm a comedy writer so i reach for the joke as much as i can because for me the joke tells you much more of an emotional truth than the sincerity because the joke pricks at like the core of your self-image the joke you know like there's a rule in comedy writing where you should always know the worst thing that anyone could say to a character because it says so much about their core, it says so much about their self-image, which is the thing that you're ultimately trying to address. And so I felt like reaching for jokes may would make this a, a better book. It would make it find deeper meaning. <laughs> that said, I end the book with uh, a Marvel ending, basically, where... Um, <laughs> It's really stupid, but you know how Marvel films have like the mid credits sting and then the post credits comedy sting. I put them in the book. I put a mid credit, so I have like my bibliography, and then after it, I have a mid credits extra scene, and then I have my acknowledgements, and then I put some put another thing right at the end, and it just tickled me, and I was just like been waiting for someone to go you you marvel nerd but no one has ever mentioned it and i feel a bit like come on guys respect respect my nerdery oh man does it trailer to a sequel is there like thor's hammer lying in the background somewhere <laughs> um well you know there could be oh Oh. enough people buy the book uh there could be a sequel oh i mean like this is, this is the thing about the lifelong project about of being a parent is um i've got endless material my my daughters when they're 20 they're gonna be like stop fucking writing a thing about me it's become a little bit of a joke that i have a notebook and anytime someone says something that amuses me or just makes me think like it goes in the notebook and so <laughs> There could be a sequel. I don't know. We'll have to see how well this does. But like, there'll always be stuff to say about being a parent in these times, right? Mm. Oh, it's a pleasure to talk with you, Nikesh. And I cannot wait to finish my copy of Brown Baby. It's right next to me now. People listening, you can buy your copy through the Nonfic Pod bookshop on bookshop.org. And we'll give the link to that at the end of this show. You can find Nikesh on Twitter at Nikesh Shukla or visit Nikesh 
dash-shukla.com. Is it dash or hyphen? I was wondering this and I think I've been too far away from other writers. <laughs> what would you say? Hyphen, I think. I think it's a hyphen. Nikesh hyphen. Nikesh-shukla.com. Brown Baby is out now with Bluebird Books. Now, if you are listening to the non-subscriber version of this episode, this is where the interview ends with Nikesh. But it actually did not end in real life because there's a little bit more. The shit he wished he'd known in the segment, Shit I Wish I'd Known. To subscribe, go to Patreon, Nonfic Pod, just search in your internet engines and whatnot. Pay a little bit each month and you can access every single episode with bonus material from each one of the authors that we interview and it is so worth it if you want to hear Nikesh say writing should be scary or that's a weird metaphor but you know what I mean then subscribe today and support us to be the very best pod we can be yeah if you can support us whether that's by subscribing or rating and reviewing and letting everybody know about us that helps us keep bringing you these incredible authors and their amazing conversations and if you do subscribe we have gorgeous swag don't we georgie Mm, we got our swag on very very shiny silver sticker silver and pink non-thick pod founder supporter sticker for those of you who sign up in season one and also if you sign up at 10 pounds or above you get some amazing things free books, invitations to behind the scenes parties, a giveaway of some of the lovely books that we've been given by some of our incredible guests. So join us and help us make, as Georgie says, this podcast be the best it can be, but also, you know, be in with a chance for some free stuff. Mm. And uh, just to add, those stickers are slightly larger than most nipples and therefore make excellent substitute tassels without the tassel parts so if you're into your burlesque combine your love of non-fiction and striptease with our nipple stickers thank you they are very adhesive <laughs> no wardrobe malfunctions with a non-fic pod sticker not our sister sticky af so Bert, this is my favorite bit where i get to ask you what you've been reading Tell me, please. Oh, so I've been reading the advanced reader copy of How to Build a Human. And it's weird because normally at this phase in a project, I hate what I've written. And I don't. I love it. I'm still, oh, God, this is such a wank thing to say. But I'm still laughing at my own jokes. They're they're good. That's because my editor basically is probably only about 25% of the jokes that were in the original draft. My editor is very good at going sure this one lands so yes it's the quarter of the jokes that I make that are actually any good that are still in the book but there's also so much juicy science in there I'd almost forgotten some of the stuff and reading the chapters on kids and their altruism and just how lovely kids are and how amazing teenagers are even though they are so sensitive to fitting in with their peers at heart Most teenagers are motivated by altruism, by responsibility, and actually you stick them in an fMRI scanner, they're still actually motivated by keeping mum and dad happy. And as I'm reading it, I was thinking, there are so many things that we do in our family that have been 
promoted by this research that, that have made me go, oh, this would be a really fun, curious, creative thing to do with the kids, whether it's based on an experiment or whether it's a game or a playful thing to do that that investigates, you know, sort of how my daughters are around some of these these things like compassion. And so I'm putting together the uh, How to Build a Human Digital Lab book, which I'm only going to give exclusively to anyone who pre-orders before the 1st of July. So get out there, order it, pop your receipt to pre-order at everburn.net and you will get a special cut of the non-fic pod episode on how to build a human. You will get a signed book plate from me and I can sign it to whoever you like. You just need to pop your mailing address and what your dedication should be in your email. And also this incredible lab book. And I am having an absolute joy of a time. I've got about 15 different ideas for amazing stuff you can do with kids from babies through to, you know, your adult children as ways of you know just seeing how incredible their minds are. So yeah, get on that. Uh, have a look on your favourite bookshop for How to Build a Human and get on the pre-order goodies. And if you go to emmaburn.net, all of the details are there after bonus and what it involves. But yeah, I am so surprised at how much I still love this book. It is an ode to parenting. And Nikesh talking about his, you know, that being a parent drove him in writing Brown Baby. It is the book that I wish that my parents have been aware of. I hope it's going to help a lot of families and also give some very compelling reasons as to why we need to completely overhaul a world that is full of insecure, badly paid jobs and shit housing because we're storing up problems for the next generation. So at times it gets a little political but purely based on the science. I bring hella receipts for this. So it's joyful, it's funny, it's inspiring, it's political. And God damn it, it's mine. Trumpet blown. Who are you reading this week? I'm reading. Okay, I have been reading Caesar Milan, or Milan, if you're doing the kind of LA pronunciation who I had never heard of before, right? And also, I feel a bit bad because I do feel like at this segment in the show, I should be bigging up some great authors who are are starting out on their career and they've got loads of the talent and all the things. And Susan Milan, his clients are like Oprah Winfrey and Jada Pinkett Smith and blah. So, God, I'm annoyed at myself for doing this. I love getting these like these niche people who are still building their platforms and you know it's like yeah (laughs) he's got a show called the dog whisperer and I as you know Bern but our listeners I don't think do know at this point I'm fostering a rescue dog at the moment and he's got quirks let's say he was astray for an indeterminate amount of time he came to our house with half of his fur missing. I think he'd itched it away. He is a bundle of joy inside the house. Very, very good. Very good boy. Good boy. But as soon as we leave the house, chaos, madness. He nips dogs in the face. He screams. He is extremely scared. And I have discovered 
I, I expect very much like the world of parenting that with the world of looking after your dog, there are a thousand million different opinions as to what you should be doing. Polar opposites. We've had one trainer who said, you've got to be lovely to him all the time, reassure him, give him cuddles, give him treats, anytime, blah, blah, blah. And then we've got Cesar Milan, Milan, who says that you've got to be the leader, alpha dog. If he is, if he or she, if you're she dog or he dog is acting up, you got to assert calmly and you've got to ignore the naughty behavior. So he came up with this book, Caesar's Way, a few years ago, which is, I don't know, multi-million selling, New York Times, blah, blah, blah. And the writing style is quite readable, actually. It was co-written with a lady called Melissa Jo Peltier. Let's give her some credit too, damn it. They've co-written this book and it's essentially a self-help book for humans. He says that if you're an unbalanced person, your dog is going to be unbalanced and that it's not natural for dogs to be nervous, really, and that we shouldn't be encouraging these unnatural behaviours. And so Caesar's way sounds like it ought to be some really hypersexual Roman joust fest with togas dripping off. But in fact, Caesar's way is how to transform your life and your dog. And so I'm trying to transform my life and my dog. Have I done it yet? No. It's it's pretty awful, actually. I have to say, we haven't heard from Brutus while we've been recording. He's He's been an absolute sweetie. So either that or he's down the beach. I don't know. He is out of the house. And also I had to... So editing Nikesh and I, our chat... There were several points where Brutus was being a bad, sweetie, bad, bad, a sweetie, bad, bad. And he was shouting. So I have deleted all evidence of the dog. All of the, oi, 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 human, oi, human, oi, 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 watch, look, watch. Essentially, yes. Bozeman, Bozeman, oh my God. Um, I did say he was good indoors, didn't I? Oh, well, that's, uh, that's the real truth. It's come out now. There's a great book, and I can't remember the title. I shall look it up and uh, bring it to the the bookshop. But basically on how humans didn't domesticate dogs solely. Dogs domesticated humans as well by allowing us to get more meat with less effort, by allowing us to live in larger groups with more security from wild animals. And that, that symbiosis between human and dog is one of the reasons why we're so successful as a species they allowed us to become the civilizations that we've become so all hail brutus and his ancestors thank you for listening to this episode of non-fic pod with burn and cod non-fic pod is brought to you by beatrice bazell emma burn georgie cod and mike wire thank you so much to all of our supporters everyone who rates reviews subscribes and shares us and thank you in particular to our patrons who are Juliet Miller, Claire and Alexander, Nicola Myrams, Alexandra Coyne, David Corney, and Mike Wire. Your continued support makes all the difference.
It's about you, Bab Bab. Sweetie, Bab Bab. I feel like these should be like our alter egos. Like these are secret producers. Mine is Veronica. What, what's yours called? Tora Molinos. Tora Molinos. Uh, uh, Tori, Tori, Tori Molinos. Are you getting George? You're right, your end. Yeah, I'm getting it right in my end. Oh, all right. <laughs> help us by rating, reviewing and sharing Nonfic Pod. Every little helps to build our audience and that means we get to share fantastic non-fiction with more people just like you. And it helps us to keep bringing you the greatest authors and the hottest reads.